Hello. Oh, hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, just wait. Give me one second. I just need to. Okay. My good. Um, hi, everyone. It's so weird seeing myself on the screen at the back. But hi, my name is Jerusha. Uh, like Jerusalem, but Jerusha. I know some of you are waiting for me to say that. Um, for those of you who've never met me before, I am currently overseeing 1830 Young Adults, which is our young adults group at church. And as you can tell from the name, 1830, we're broadly aged from 18 to 30. I am finally past 30, which I think entitles me to actually finally lead 1830 because people in the ministry can finally respect me as an older person. Um, our vision for 1830 is actually based off Romans 12.2, for those of you who don't know, which is actually talking about how we can develop godly patterns in our lives um, and renew our minds and allow Him to do that. And we're very keen for young adults to develop godly patterns when the stakes are a bit lower and the pressures are a bit less, um, so that as they get older and they have families and things like that, they can still live out godly patterns in their lives. Um, so if you are not plugged in and you're a young adult, we actually have a lot of home groups that we want to plug you into. Um, so if you're not, um, come talk to me or one of our 1830 leaders. Leaders, can you please raise your hand? Yeah, hi, hi. Oh. <laughs> so if you're not plugged in, look for one of these guys and we'll plug you into a home group. Um, also, we have camp coming up on the 9th to the 11th of July. Um, for those of you who are young adults, please come along, um, 9th to the 11th of July. Um, it'll be good for us to get away together as a group to seek God together during that weekend. Now, to tell you a bit about myself, um, I recently got married um, to an awesome guy, uh, <laughs> John Lee over there. Um, most aunties actually like him more than they like me, and that's why I knew he was a catch. <laughs> Um, married life has been a good one so far. We've only lived together for like the last month or so. Um, and I definitely got lucky because he doesn't actually mind doing a lot of the housework. And then the other day he said, you know what, I realize I'm actually quite domesticated. And I said, yeah, lucky me, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're in the Homegrown series. Um, and I'm actually personally very passionate about this series because it's all about genuine faith. And I think last year was a very interesting one for us where when COVID hit, as much as it was a bad thing, um, it allowed us to actually have an honest evaluation of where we stood with God and whether our faith was actually real in the private lives. And so today I want to expand on that a little bit more and talk about the idea of steadfast faith and how and why steadfastness is actually important for our faith um, and what the Bible says about it. And the reason why I chose to speak about this is because, particularly young adults, we're known to be technologically savvy, um, we're known to be very innovative, we have a lot of awesome ideas, um, and we learn very quickly. And we're also very, very knowledgeable in a lot of ways because we have, it, we have very easy access to it. Um, but we're also known for having a very short attention span. Um, we don't stick to things for a long time. And also, we're always like constantly looking out for something that's better, and that's why we are known for having FOMO. Um, they've even lessened our long service leave to seven years instead of 10, because no one sticks to a job for that long. So <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about what the Bible says about being steadfast in our faith and why that's important for us. But before we do that, let's um, pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to invite you, God, into this space. Um, as your word's spoken, God, I pray that it would... 
um, seep into our hearts, God, and take root. Father, I pray that um, we will not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, God. And we just commit this time to you um, and pray that um, you speak to us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so steadfast. What does that mean? Um, when I looked at the old English word um, of what steadfast meant, stead means place and fast means firmly fixed. So steadfast means firmly fixed in place, not budging, not wavering um, in a belief or a plan. And John and I, on our honeymoon recently, we went walking along um, the beach and lawn, um, and I saw this. And I took a picture of it, and this is the picture I took, um, using the Google photo, um, pixel. Um, and I actually didn't know what that was. And so as a true millennial, I used Google Lens, and I took a picture of it to find out what it was. And it said it was actually a sea snail, or known as a limpet. Um, and then the next thing that happened horrified me. That was John trying to kick the, the poor sea snail off the rock, even though it didn't do anything to him. Um, and he's actually a really nice guy, but I think he just lacks empathy towards sea snails. And basically, even though he tried really hard to get it off the rock, it actually didn't even move, and it didn't crack, it was just steadfast on the rock. And so I thought it was a really good picture of steadfastness that we're called to have in Christ as well. You know, even though people or circumstances around us change or are pulling at us, I think the, the kind of faith that God's calling us to is one that's actually like the sea snail, firmly placed on the rock. Um, and John can be the symbol of all the other things. <laughs> um, steadfastness is actually a characteristic of God. So it says in Psalms 136, 136, that God's steadfast love endures forever. In Lamentations 3, it talks about how the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. In James 1, it talks about how God is the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so we can tell from time and time again in the Bible, it talks about how God's love for us and God's affection for us doesn't actually change or waver. It's fully committed and it's enduring and it goes the long, long term. And whether we experience it is more based on our response to Him. And God's, God is not just steadfast though. He actually calls us to be steadfast as well. In 1 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And then it says in James 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so these are just some verses from the Bible, but it's a constant throughout the Bible that God not only is steadfast, but he calls us to also be immovable in our faith. So back to the sea snail. The sea snail, um, I, I didn't know why it was so sticky. And so as a true millennial again, I went to Google and I Googled why are sea snails so sticky to the rock? Um, and what I found was really interesting. So apparently they produce a mucus or a slime um, that apparently is like liquid. 
But then when it's at rest, it actually hardens. And then when it hardens, it causes it to stick to surfaces. It can stick upside down. Um, and apparently can take up to weights of 100 kilos. And so the reason why the snail was immovable or steadfast was because it was part of its identity. The ability to make slime was part of who it was. So the question for us is, what is our slime? The very, when the very essence of us is submitted to Christ, and when he is our Lord, we actually develop a very resilient, steadfast, and immovable kind of faith in Christ. But if our very essence, our identity, is not in Christ, then it's likely we'll produce some other substance that will not allow us to remain immovable when the challenge or external factors come. In fact, it's like someone taking like yoo glue, trying to stick a snail onto a rock. It just won't stick. And so someone that we can look to in the Bible that demonstrated very steadfast faith is actually Paul, Apostle Paul um, in the early church. So he was someone that was really steadfast. Um, in his letter to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11, he wrote that for the sake of Christ, he was whipped, he was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was betrayed by his own people, he was in constant danger wherever he went, he had sleepless nights, he experienced anxiety for the churches that he planted, and yet, despite all these things, he served God fervently and he was steadfast in his faith. So we're going to look more closely into some truths that he clung on to to develop this kind of steadfast faith, but we'll look more at that later in Philippians 3. The question for us is, what are some barriers for us? For Paul, it was all those things, but it's a bit um, difficult to relate to because how many of us have actually felt the threat of being shipwrecked or whipped or beaten by rods or being in constant danger? Not all of us can relate to that. But in this society, in this culture, I say we have it a lot, it seems like we have it a lot easier because we don't face the same kind of persecution that the early church did. But don't be mistaken, we are actually not exempt. Our battle is the same, but it actually just looks different. Instead of threatening us physically, the enemy targets our minds and our hearts. He distracts us and deludes us to think that we actually just have time to chill and just do us. But don't be mistaken, we are in a spiritual battle. There is a book written by David Kinnaman, um, recommended by Chris, called Faith for Exiles. Um, and it was written um, to actually talk to, to, for Christians on how to navigate this changing environment. And I actually encourage all of you guys to have a read. Um, and the interesting thing is that he did a lot of research to, sh to find out what caused young adults aged 18 to 29, um, what caused them to actually slip away from church and from the faith. But also he did a lot of research to show like kind of what, um, what caused resilient Christians, Christians who were Christians over a long time and were still very faithful serving in church. And so I'll share a few of his findings, but not everything because we'll take days. Um, one of the things he found as a barrier to steadfast faith was actually fear and also anxiety, the, f the rise of anxiety in the last 10 years or so. Before I talk a little bit more about that, I don't know how many of you guys like running. I absolutely hate running. Unless it's in soccer, then it's a little bit more fun. I get distracted by chasing after the ball or by people running around me. Um, but there was one time my sister-in-law, Jo, she convinced me to run 10 kilometers in a race and I, 
mis like I made the first mistake of agreeing, first of all. My second mistake was trying to keep at her pace, even though I had not done any training at all for it. And the consequence, and you can ask her about this, was a very broken body at the end of the race um, and trauma that I still live with till today. It would be so exhausting to run at a race that you could not keep up with, at a pace that you could not keep up with, um, and have to, having to run a race where you don't know where the finish line is. Because you'd just be running back and forth, and you don't know where to go, and you probably feel lost and anxious as a result. And I think running a race without an endpoint is like literally what's causing anxiety in our lives nowadays. Um, when I was growing up in high school and primary school, we used to have search engines like Ask Jeeves. <laughs> How many of you guys actually know what Ask Jeeves is? Oh, not bad. Um, yeah, so I used to have Ask Jeeves and Yahoo and maybe like Yahooligan, but I think they took, off, took that off for good reasons. Um, those were search engines that you could use to, you know, when you wanted to complete a school project. Um, we used to have Nokia phones, which we would use for three basic things, calling, texting, only 50 letters, um, and maybe playing one game, Snake. Um, but now, our phones are not just that. Google is not just a search engine. It's become our counselor, our entertainer, our instructor. You know, instead of asking friends and families questions that we feel are too personal or embarrassing, maybe questions about relationships, about sex, or about uh, very tricky things that we have to navigate in life, we now tend to Google for the answers. There was even a, a pregnant, in the news in the last few years, there was a pregnant lady who was actually traveling at a time, and she was in a country where um, she didn't have private insurance, and she was actually about to give birth in the hotel. And so she decided to have the baby in her hotel room, in the bathtub. And so she looked up YouTube videos on how to have a baby, <laughs> and she actually managed to do it. And she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And I'm not saying that people should do that, please don't. Um, but isn't it crazy that we can actually do that with the technology that we have nowadays? We have unprecedented access to information, but as much as technology has helped to grow and, and help society, it hasn't led to unprecedented wisdom. In fact, it's led to unprecedented anxiety, eating disorders, depression, mental health issues, broken families, and even suicides. And I was speaking to a friend who is a pediatrician just the other day, and she said she's working in a hospital at the moment. And over the years, they can actually see a tremendous increase in all these cases. And it's heartbreaking. Like, why, why is this happening? And I think a few reasons why technology has led to an increase in anxiety and fear uh, are for a few reasons. And the research actually shows a few things. There's a lot of things, but I just kind of condensed it a little bit. One of it is that we're going, we're actually, um, there's a lot of counterfeit wisdom nowadays. Um, because of this changing culture, like I said before, many of us look to our phones for, to make sense of the world and to get wisdom. But just because we have more knowledge doesn't mean we have more wisdom. As you can see from TikTok videos, people licking toilet bowls to prove that they can't get COVID, or people tripping people in midair and then actually dying. It's actually, it's actually so ridiculous. And we think that now, we think that wisdom is what the majority feels is the best thing to do. We think wisdom is what's being forwarded on WhatsApp or what's trending on social media. And instead of going to God and his word, 
we, um, we actually go with the flow and we go to the world for wisdom. And no wonder we're confused because people have so many opinions and different perspectives on what is true, what is right and wrong, what good judgment is. And for us, if, we, if you call yourself a Christian or a Christ follower, and you believe that you are created by God and that you're loved by Him, and that He's all-powerful, that He's all-knowing, then my question to you is, do you draw your wisdom, your truth, and your understanding of right and wrong from Him and what He says in His Word, or do you actually draw it from the world and the people around you? The second thing that um, was shown in the research was actually speed. Things have now accelerated and efficiency is at an all-time high. When we want information or when we want to buy something, it, it happens quickly. And when things don't happen as quickly as we expect, we are unsettled. You know, having to wait for something is something that's almost unacceptable nowadays. Um, and when something doesn't happen as fast as we expect them to, we think something must be wrong. We think either there's something wrong with us, something is wrong with other people, or the environment must be wrong. And those thoughts can actually lead to discontentment and underlying anxiety. Some of us put a lot of effort into things like our jobs, our family, our friendships, our, even our home groups, right, for those of you who are leaders here. And we expect a return in like a few weeks or a few months or even a year. But we actually forget that some of these things take longer to grow and to ripen. It's like expecting an avocado seed. I don't know if you guys have seen an avocado seed. But it's like expecting it to sprout within a day, like a small little green bean, when actually it could take up to eight weeks to sprout, like show even one little sprout. And in fact, God calls us when he calls us to sow into things, he doesn't actually promise that we will reap instant benefits. What he promises is actually of eternal value instead of instant gratification. And the third thing that was brought up in research was complexity, worldly complexities. The reason for fear and anxiety is because things are so much more complicated than they used to be. Um, there's been an increase in choices, we've got more knowledge, there's also more comparison. Um, especially, and which led to an increase in fear and anxiety, especially the fear of missing out on something that's better. Um, and knowing what's out there actually feel, makes you feel more uncertain about your own choices. Um, and this is not just with buying things or what we eat. It's also about who we date or even with our friendships or our life partners. And parents face this as well. You know, parents face the fear and anxiety because they constantly look out for what's best for their children, worrying that their children don't have the very best. It also shown, um, research has also shown that um, comparing ourselves uh, to others on social media have actually made us feel more insecure about ourselves. And I think a lot of you can actually relate to that, who use social media. Um, and it's almost like the more we think about something or the more we read and know about something, the more we worry about it. And the more alternatives we have, the more exhausting it feels rather than freeing. And then um, David Kinnaman writes this quote in his book, we experience paralysis by analysis over choice and complexity. And Paul actually writes about it in Ephesians 4 as well. He actually encourages young Christians not to be tossed to and fro by the waves and to be carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but to grow up in every way into Christ. And that's how anxiety can feel sometimes when you just feel like you're being tossed to and fro. But God doesn't want that for us. What does God actually want for us? Um, 
And the research also showed that a lot of resilient Christian young adults, one of the things that he found as a common tr um, trend was that they all had an identity that was actually strongly rooted in intimacy with Christ. And that prevented them from feeling like they were being tossed to and fro. So instead of fear and anxiety, what God wants for us is actually freedom. And I love the songs that we sang today because it was all related to this, but Hubert didn't even know what I was talking about. Um, part of developing steadfast faith is to realize that our identity is in Christ and that he has called us to freedom, not fear. It sounds simple, but it's actually really powerful. Um, in Galatians 5, it talks about how for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Um, let's delve in a little bit deeper into our main passage for today, which is from Philippians 3. Um, as I said before, Paul is someone that had very steadfast faith. And so in his letter to the Philippians church, he actually writes to the church to encourage them because they were going through quite severe persecution. And so let's look at the passage. Okay, cool. Um, he starts off saying, Though I myself have reason, have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if any ever, I'm going to read off here. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And basically, Paul goes on to talk about all the reasons that he could actually, all the things he could actually potentially find his identity in. Um, he first of all lists circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So basically he was listing all the things that, which I'll, I'll talk more about later, that he could find confidence in. But he then goes on to say, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In the eyes of the world, Paul was actually someone who had every right to have confidence in his worldly accomplishments and reputation. He says, um, back in the first bit, he says, first of all, he was circumcised on the eighth day. So he was following God's laws to the T. He was um, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he was heir to God's covenant with them. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was actually a distinguished tribe because that's where the first king of Israel came from, Saul. He was also Hebrew of the Hebrews. So he, he wasn't adulterated by foreign cultures like Greek culture at the time. He was also a Pharisee, which means he was um, someone that was looked up to religiously and he was elite and holy amongst the people. And also, even though his passion was a bit misdirected, he also, he also said he was very passionate for the Lord, even though he was persecuting the church at the time. And then he said he was blameless as well. So for Paul, his wealth, his reputation, his religious achievements didn't matter as much as knowing Christ and having that intimacy with Christ. So Paul, actually, I would say, he had godly wisdom instead of counterfeit wisdom. He was wise because he knew who 
and what really mattered the most. And for us, instead of having the fear of missing out, whether it be on like money opportunities, business opportunities, relationships, friendships, experiences, or trying to get ahead of others all the time, we need to realize that we have everything we ever need in Christ. What your children need is not the best school, or to be set up financially in life, or to have the best things in life, or just to be attending church every Sunday, or serving in church like a good Christian kid. But what they, those things are good, don't get me wrong, but what they need more, or what they need most, is intimacy with Christ. And if Christ is your Lord and your master and the core of your identity, then he should be worth more than all these other things that you could potentially find your security in. And this truth is actually what frees you from fear and anxiety. Instead of caring and worrying about everything, your mind and your heart is fixed on what truly matters. The second thing um, that I'd like to suggest, instead of going at the speed of the world that you can't keep up with, is actually to go at God's speed. And I don't mean this in like a computer game way where you go like super, super duper fast. I'm talking about um, keeping in step with God. So it says in Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Life is actually a spiritual race, and we are called to keep in step with God and His Spirit instead of trying to run at our own pace or the pace of the world. And maybe God might be asking you to you know, just walk slower or to stop doing certain things or to wait. But it's important for us to go to God to ask Him how fast we should be going or how slow we should be going. Now the third thing is, in face of all the complexities of the world in making our decisions, God actually makes it very simple for us. Um, and we can see this in Paul's um, letter as well. God actually calls us to keep things simple by remembering what he's done for us. And Paul writes in his letter um, in verses 13 to 14 in Philippians 3, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already perfect, I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So for Paul, he understood the gospel, and that changed everything for him. It kept things very simple instead of, it being complex in his decision-making. For Paul, he knew that Christ had died for him, he belonged to Christ, now he was called to live for Christ. And that was his goal in life, it was simple. So the question for us is, do you know what Christ has done for you? Do you know who you belong to? And then who you're running for? Instead of running around trying to look for the best, realize that being in Christ and living for him is the very best. Um, it's running towards all that God desires for you and all that he wants for you. And that is the prize that will actually bring you the least amount of anxiety and the most satisfaction and joy. 
So what does that kind of look like um, practically? Hmm. There's actually a missing slide, but it's okay. Um, what does that look like practically? And some of the practical things that I've thought about is, yeah, I can't see my slide there, sorry. Um, <laughs> know what God is like, because how do you know how to live for Him, or what He wants, or where He wants you to go if you don't know Him? And so, first step, read His Word, study it. If you don't know how to read it, find someone who can teach you how to read God's Word. Um, get plucked into a home group, because that's the space where people are actually reading the Bible together and learning together. Um, ask God, the second step is, ask God what He wants to do in and through you in the day. So ages ago, like I think like 10 years ago, I heard a pastor um, have this simple step as well, and he said, every day I wake up and I literally pray and ask God to show me what He's doing in that day and to let me be a part of it. And it's such a simple prayer, but it's actually so powerful because if you do that, you're basically saying to God, God, today, you are not serving my purposes. You are not serving me. I am serving you and your purposes. And I think if you start your day every day like that, you position yourself to then um, do what God's calling you that very day. Thirdly, be honest with God. So, yeah, thanks. Um, be honest with God, because sometimes He actually asks us to do things that we don't want to do, and we're like terrified. But the thing about God is that He understands, and so He actually wants you to tell Him like, that you're scared. So say, God, I'm scared. You need to help me do this. Right, Mayan? <laughs> um, and so He actually appreciates that, and He can actually work through that with you. So don't be afraid of being honest and open with God. The fourth step is, um, serve outside your comfort zone. I think a lot of us are you know, always just kind of looking to see what we can do within our scope, but I think um, either Chris or um, Pastor Roland was talking about how we actually need to, what, what boxes have we put God in, and, and can we push that? Because I think when we actually serve outside our comfort zone, um, it gets rid of that self-entitlement or self-focus that we have, um, which is very common nowadays. And so these things sound very basic, but I challenge you to actually start your day like that um, with these questions every day over the next week and see if it makes a difference. Because it's simple, but very powerful. And I was trying to think of a particular example of how like, you know, I was able to exercise godly wisdom. Can I control? No. I was trying to think of an example of a time that I could like I exercised godly wisdom or like kept at God's speed or was living according to the simple gospel and I was trying to think of like an epic example in my life but the thing is that it actually doesn't look like a big epic moment but it's actually about small daily steps that you take it's a way of thinking that applies to every day which then accumulates over time and so you know in high school for me, when people were challenging my faith in high school, I had to go to God and say, God, how do you want me to respond to them? What's a, what's, what do you want me to say? Can you give me the words to say? And help me not to be afraid to, to, to talk to them and to also love them. At uni, I was asking God, because I had a lot of time, I was asking God, how do you want me to be investing my time? Where do you want me to, what do you want me to do? Um, and he led me to do missions um, to the schoolies and to even start a Bible study group. And then when I failed my placement at uni, I had to ask God, what is your purpose for me failing placement? What can I learn from this? How can I use this to draw closer to you? 
you know, at work, um, as a speech pathologist, I said, what does it look like for me to be firstly a Christian and then a speech pathologist? Or what does it look like for me to honor my boss? When I started dating, I said, who should I date? You know, when I broke up, I said, God, what do you want through this breakup? What can I learn about you and, and from you through a breakup? And then I had to ask God for direction and wisdom about um, deciding when and who to date next. And then for wedding planning, I had to ask God, how do you want me to spend my money? What's important for you for the wedding? And then now that I'm married, I go, John and I actually have to pray about how God wants us to spend our time, our money, and how he wants us to set up our family. So in every season of our lives, there's an opportunity, um, there's room for anxiety and fear to creep in at every corner of your life, but also there's opportunities to serve God and to submit and surrender that area to him. So it's not complicated, but simply turning to God in every season of your life. And like Paul, I'm not saying I'm perfect or I've made it my own, but as Christians, we're called to press on towards that goal of being in Christ and for Christ. And it's a lifelong journey into eternity. God is calling us to run to him at a pace that he enables us to run because not only do we get to enjoy that journey a lot more, but we also end up where he is, which is the place that we were always created to be. The second thing that research shown um, is reclusiveness that has come up um, and is a barrier to steadfast faith nowadays, particularly in young adults and youth. Because even though we are more connected than ever in the digital world, some research shows that we are actually more lonely than ever. And why is this the case? I think the rise in technology has actually allowed us to take the easy way out. So instead of, you know, resolving, sorry? Yeah. sorry? Instead of resolving conflicts face-to-face, -face, we send a text or an email. We say things to people and criticize them online, and we say things that we would never say to their face. At homes, we use screens as a distraction from connecting with our, our spouse or with our kids. On Instagram, we respond to people's stories, we comment, we like, we react to their pictures, but then we actually have a proper conversation with them that involves us asking about their week or having like a meaningful discussion, a uh, meaningful conversation. And don't get me wrong, I'm, say I'm not saying these things are bad in itself. I love Instagram and I love um, interacting with people online, but if we use it as a way to avoid or even passively avoid meaningful interactions with others, then we need to be watchful that it doesn't become like a band-aid that makes us feel like we're connected, but we're actually not. Because over time, what we'll see is a distance kind of develop in these relationships. And then over time, we feel lonely, even though we're surrounded by people, because we didn't put in the heart yards to actually get to know them. And some of us, fair enough, have experienced deep hurts. And so we don't want to go there. We don't want to go deep with people because we want to avoid getting hurt. But what does the Bible actually say about that? God actually calls us to relationship, to deep relationship. God calls us to, it says that it's good to be in relationship. And again, the research showed that resilient young adults, resilient Christian young adults, often have meaningful intergenerational relationships. And Paul also writes this in his letter. He says in verse 17 to 18, Brothers, join in imitating me 
and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. It's not just about who we are around, because it's good to be around people who think differently, who have different perspectives, um, and who are not Christian as well. But it's about who you keep your eyes on and imitate, who you look to to imitate. And the reason why it's good to imitate people who love God is because they're likely to be imitating Christ, and then you can become more like Christ. Um, In Galatians 6, it talks about how we're called to carry each other's burdens so that we can fulfill the law of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how we need one another to function as the body of Christ, just as Christ has made us. And so God has called us to deep relationship. Um, So what are some of the practical things we can do then to develop deeper relationships? And these are some of the things that I thought about. There's a lot of things, but these are some suggestions. First of all, don't shy away from personal questions. Don't be afraid of those difficult questions. You know, if you know someone's going through a tough time, ask them. Ask them what, how they're going. Ask them how you can pray for them and actually pray for them. <laughs> be intentional with the people that you're with. You know, really get to know them. Make sure they know that you value them. And if you don't value people, pray that God will help you to value people. Um, don't see a conflicts as things that you should avoid, but opportunities to build character and to actually refine um, and develop your relationship with people and with God, because God often uses conflicts then to sharpen and refine you. And also mentoring. Um, It's good to actually reach seven to 10 years younger and seven to 10 years up, because people think differently across the age spectrum. And so it's good to learn from one another um, and to gain wisdom from both ends of the age spectrum. Oh, thanks. Um, But one thing you have to remember is that people are people and they are broken and they can actually fail and disappoint you. And that's why your identity in Christ, the slime that I was talking about before, the slime that you produce is actually super important for homegrown faith. I just wanted to share, um, as I like close off towards the end, um, I want to share a bit of my own experience with steadfast faith, I guess. And I thought about it and I was like, I think I I should share my home group leading experience over the last 10 years or so. Um, And I'm sharing this because I believe it's a testament of how God can use a broken, imperfect person like me to accomplish His will. And I believe steadfast faith is actually an imperfect person constantly going to God for help. So when I was about 20 years old um, in uni, God actually called me to start a Bible study group with a few of my friends when we were attending a bigger church. Um, And at that time, I thought it sounded simple. I was like, oh yeah, read the Bible together every week. That sounds very easy. Um, But I had no idea what God was signing me up for. Um, It was so difficult. It was so tricky because during that time, I wasn't very good at leading like a group, even though I knew my Bible well. And so people were sleeping in Bible study. There were were commitment issues because people had exams during that time. And we were coming against a culture of like drinking and clubbing in universities as well. And for three or four years, I didn't know how to delegate and I didn't know I could delegate. And so I was literally leading Bible study every week and leading worship at the same time for years. And on top of that, people got upset with me because of the way I was running home group. Um, And I just felt like I wasn't doing anything right. And there were so many times I actually wanted to give up. 
oh my gosh, what the? <laughs> there's so much, so many times I just wanted to give up. And I remember, um, yeah, I was like talking to God a lot about these things. Um, and throughout that whole journey, I realized what actually kept me going was constantly turning to God for help and direction. And every time he would actually alleviate a lot of the fears, the worries, anxieties that I experienced during that time. And he gave me, not only gave me purpose and direction, but he gave me purpose, he gave me the ability to lead others to seek his purpose and direction. And I think looking back now, I can see that he was actually preparing me and preparing me for the things that he was calling me to do now. But at that time, I had no idea. And I think that's part of steadfast faith, like believing that God actually has purpose for everything and that nothing that you do for him is ever in vain or wasted. Um, at that time, it was really hard. So I remember many times I had to go like alone time with him and just like worshipped him, play the guitar, sing. And then when I felt overwhelmed, I would journal my prayers as well. And when I got really upset, I would literally cry out to him and like cry in the car. Even this one time on the way to home group, I remember I was like, people are not opening up. People are so closed off. Like, God, you need to do something. And then when I went to home group, one of the girls actually did open up that day. I remember that was a shift in, in our home group that time. And I constantly read my Bible and kept asking him, what is your purpose for this group? And one thing God constantly reminded me throughout my whole life was that this place that we live in is actually not home. Home is with him. And I think that helped me constantly turn to him because every time I did, I felt like I was home. I felt safe and secure. And Paul ends um, his, his chapter in Philippians 3 by saying this. Okay, it's not working. But he says, <laughs> our citizenship, thank you, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And God doesn't want a perfect person, but someone who actually just constantly looks to him and is committed to his purposes despite being broken and imperfect. And I think that's the picture of steadfast faith. So as we close now, I'd like to invite you to take a step to invite God into your space, to invite Christ to have his way, to be your guide, your source of wisdom, your pace keeper, your goal in life, to be Lord over your daily choices, your relationships, your future. And it's not just about what you commit to today, and it's not just about today, but it's about committing to God that you will invite Him in to your everyday, to, to guide you in all your ways and to find your identity in Him. That you may experience His peace and His rest, that you may develop a faith that's steadfast, that's strong, that's immovable in this life and into eternity. And so, can we close lower the lights um, and just all eyes closed in this place? And I just have to pray for you guys. So if you'd like to make a commitment to God to say, I want to invite you into my every day as I develop a steadfast and strong faith so that I can eventually be with you in eternity and have you with me every day, I invite you to stand up and I'd like to pray for you.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a God who loves us so much that you desire to be with us daily, God, to walk with us daily. You want us to rest in your presence and to find purpose in you, God. But Father, we're so sorry for the times that we've looked to the world for wisdom, that we've been caught up with all these things floating around us, Lord God, that have distracted us from um, living out the purpose that you've called us to in our lives. Father, we're sorry, God, from turning away from you and turning to other things, God. But Father, we commit again to you, Lord. We say to you, God, that we want to invite you into our everyday, into our quiet moments. Every morning when we wake up, God, may we desire to do what you're calling us to do that very day, God, that over time we can see the fruits of following you, God, the fruits of having steadfast, immovable faith, the kind that's not shaken easily, that's not fearful, that's not dependent on feeling or dependent on external circumstances, but a faith that's found in you, God. And I just pray for everyone who stood up today, God, that they would something would change in their lives, not in a big way, but Father, in a little significant way, God. That Father, they would invite you into their everyday, that Father, you would speak powerfully into their lives, that you would transform their lives, God, as they submit every area of their life to you. And Father, over time, may they see, God, that they are so firmly rooted and they are at peace because they've put their faith in you, the immovable, the foundation, and the one who loves them the most. And we commit this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.